Welcome to the Journey to Justice podcast. This is episode 11 of our Economic Injustice series, where we explore individual and collective action for economic justice in the UK and dive deep into causes of wealth inequality. In this episode, our speakers talk about combating clothing poverty and taking community action to feed people during the COVID-19 pandemic. You will hear from Louise Cook, who set up Sharewear Clothing Scheme in 2012. Sharewear is a clothing referral scheme with bases across the Midlands and Yorkshire, which allows those who struggle to afford clothes to personally choose their own items for free. The issue being addressed by the foundation of Sharewear Clothing Scheme was clothing poverty, which is an issue that doesn't get much media attention in this country and gets forgotten about as a type of poverty that people do suffer from. Um, In 2012, I was lucky enough to do some volunteering in the favelas of São Paulo in Brazil. And what I saw there was really transformative to my life because I saw the power of community organising and what economic injustice looks like in Latin America in that um, the poor in Latin America literally have nothing, um, no houses, nothing. They, They build their own shacks and and build their own favelas, their own slums, basically, and live in them. Uh, But the little they do have through employment, they share with everyone else in the community and they set up cooperatives and they recycle, repurpose and reuse absolutely everything. Nothing goes to waste. Um, And this completely blew my mind in November 2012. Uh, I was already an ethical consumer by that point, already interested in social justice and politically active. But what I saw in Sao Paulo inspired me to want to bring that model of sharing and that model of community organising, but in a grassroots way, um, over to Nottingham. At the end of my trip on on São Paulo, I had a really bad accident falling down some stairs. So when I returned from there, I was kind of shaken up still and in recovery from my accident, a bit um, gobsmacked that I hadn't paralysed myself in the accident and uh, took a bit of time out from my then work, which was teaching languages, to just to recover from my back, really, and to process, while I was recovering, everything that I'd learned in Sao Paulo, and to think about which organisations in Nottingham I could get involved with. And, and while I was doing all of that, I actually had an anaphylactic attack from hair dye that I'd used all my life, uh, which nearly killed me. Paramedics saved my life. And so I, I get to Christmas 2012 and I'm like, what's happening? There's something there's something happening in my life. Somebody's trying to tell me something. Does my life need to change direction, maybe? And then during that period, my son started coming home from our local food bank where he was volunteering in, in his uh, sixth form studies. Uh, every week, every Saturday saying, there have been families at food bank again, mum, asking for clothes and there's nowhere to signpost them to. They don't need homeless clothes, they don't need winter woolies, they just need clothes for life, to function for them and their family. They can't go to charity shops, it's too expensive. What can we do? It's like, it's unbelievable that of all the things that there are in Nottingham, there's nowhere to send them for clothes. And he like, some weeks he was coming home in tears, you know, at the age of 17. 
and it was like that i suppose it was a bit like that damascus moment for for people that know the story of um, paul on the way to damascus and because i said to him you know that's the one thing that nobody's doing in nottingham that nobody's providing free clothing in an organized way and my son said you should do it mum maybe this is it so i threw the gauntlet back at my son and said to him okay then let's let's look into doing it but you you need to help me and uh, i approached this group who um are called the Justice and Peace Group because they're part of the National Justice and Peace Network that exists within the Catholic Church. How about you help us get this off the ground? So they did. They lent themselves to that. And we approached our priest and asked him if we could use a room that wasn't being used in our church um, to get off the ground. And he said yes. So the first lot of donations started coming in and they were all worked on in my garage by my husband and my son and my daughter and me. So it was a very family concern. So in in that way, we're a true, real grassroots community because my son came home from our food bank in a place called Top Valley in Nottingham and said he'd seen the need. Our church was in the neighbouring estate, Bestwood, so we set up to meet that need in the very place where the need had been seen. And um, the plan was really initially just to get people to start donating clothes in a very small scale so we could meet what we thought was a small scale need in that local community. And the plan was to um, contact all of the agencies that referred into that food bank where the need was, was spotted um, to get them to start um, referring people into us basically there was no big idea we and there was no grand ambition and there never has been now these days it's a bit different we've, we've seen the size of the problem and we've evolved with um, you know to meet that need but in the early days it was just about there's a need locally let's fill it so our message from day one to the whole of the general public who wanted to donate was if you wouldn't wear it yourself or want to see a member of your family in it, we don't want it because free doesn't equal rubbish. This is this clothing is for someone to function in life, to either carry out a specific task that they need to do in life or simply to leave their house, go out the door. So they need clothes that are fit for purpose and dignified and clothes that you would wear yourself. And within the Christian community, we were able to drive that message home more specifically as well. Of course, we all believe in the dignity of the human person and the sanctity of life. So if you believe in the dignity of the human person, then everything that that human person is given should uphold their dignity. So it should be of that kind of standard. To us, it was common sense that um, nobody's going to want to be made to feel as if they're getting something for free. What some people call a handout when they come to Sharewear for clothing. They're, go they're going to want to feel as if they've been clothes shopping but didn't have to pay. So from the very, very beginning, even before we had the type of premises that we've got now where everything is out on rails and stuff, um, people chose their own clothing. They weren't limited. And they're choosing exactly what they need, just exactly as if somebody had given them the money to go shopping in Nottingham and they'd gone into the shops in Nottingham and chosen what they wanted with that money. At least one person a week will say to us, I feel like I've been to, sometimes they say Oxford Street, sometimes they say Primark, <laughs> I feel like I've been to that place and gone and bought everything that I wanted from there except I haven't. And that's exactly how we want people to feel when they come to Sharewear. So 
for example, we would have people coming in in those very early days who were who were known people in our community that the food bank knew well, the people that needed support in our community who would come in um, with shoes that were hanging off their feet, like gaping open in front of the soles, completely flapping off their feet and leave with a with a pair of shoes on and put and, and leave their broken ones behind with us and then went away and said to others that's what happened to me when I went to that place but um they'd also say things like oh I'm going to go back and tell the food bank what it was like here or I'm going to go back and tell refugee forum what it was like here so that they'll tell other people not to be scared about coming clearly when I talk about those early days I, I get a little bit overcome with emotion sometimes because it's just we've been on such a journey and some of those people come back into my mind from the early days, the people that we supported, I still remember them all. As the months passed and more people started to come to, to us for help because the word got out that we were reliable, um, people got into work with clothes that they accessed from us. Um, children went back to school who hadn't been attending school because they didn't have the correct uniform. People with mental health issues um, felt more able to go outdoors and, and walk and, and take the air like we're being told to now during the pandemic and stuff because they've got appropriate footwear to put on their feet or a warm enough coat to wear to go for a walk and also this is something that people always forget about um, there are people in the UK today who don't access the amazing work of food banks and other projects alleviating other types of poverty in this country because they haven't got the clothing to wear to go to that service to get the help that they need their clothing is so is so substandard or ill-fitting or not hygienic because they can't afford to run a washing machine that they don't they feel ashamed and they don't feel able to go to the food bank or whatever service it is and so getting clothing the outcome of getting dignified decent clothing is that you then feel able to go and access all those other things that are there to support you and that's something that never ever gets talked about we're all a couple of steps away from needing to use a food bank from needing to go to fairware from not being able to afford period products from not being able to afford to put our heating on or fix the washer if it breaks we're all a couple of steps away from that and whilst organisations and social justice groups have been talking about that for a long, long time, especially since 2010, it's taken a pandemic for the bulk of the population to sit up and suddenly say, oh, actually, my life isn't actually as secure as I thought it was and neither are my children's. Whilst the pandemic has had that great effect of making people realise how fragile everybody's security is, financial security, and has made people want to respond to those issues being created, it hasn't focused attention on the fragility of the UK economy, the fragility of our systems of government in the UK and the funding of our uh, public sector, our local councils in the UK and our hospitals, our health service, our education service, etc. It's focused all the attention on we need to help, we need to help, we need to help because they've been affected by COVID. They've lost their job because of COVID or this or that or the other. But actually, COVID isn't always 
the reason and certainly never the entire reason why that person has lost that job. That person has lost that job as a result of the systems within capitalism that have created this fragile space in 2020 where a pandemic can hit the economy and it decimates everything. And that's not the pandemic that's decimated everything. That's the previous decade that's done that. So in that way, COVID is is um, cloaking the underlying effects of why these issues exist in our society. So that's as much, uh, it presents us with as much of an opportunity to talk to people and get people involved in, in social activism, social justice activism, because they're now paying more attention than they were before. But it also presents us with a challenge as well. And the challenge is getting it through to people that it's not the pandemic that's done that. The pandemic fell on fertile ground created by a decade of austerity. We supported 7,000 7, people in 2019 from our Nottingham HQ. We operate an outreach service as well, where we deliver in bulk to other organisations in Nottinghamshire, but now in five counties around Nottinghamshire, so that we're able to reach people who can't get into our Nottingham centre to access clothing. Uh, and they still get that element of choice because we send bulk amounts of clothing, like like we're a wholesaler sending stock to a shop as it were so in 2019 we supported in total 7,000 people and by the end of this year we're going to have supported more than 12,000 people and each year is thousands more people than the year before hence why we've um, been working really hard this year to try and find a way to open a branch that's not in Nottingham that we can then serve the five counties around that branch and then eventually another branch and serve the five counties from around there. I think that's why when I have the opportunity to talk to somebody like today, that's the only time I ever really get to reflect on everything that all of us have achieved. And that's when it hits me and I get a bit, I get a little bit overcome with it because I'm just so busy um, expanding shareware, making sure that we maintain the consistency of that upholding the good dignity of human life throughout our expansion. Uh, so busy doing that all the time that I don't really get time to feel, you know, <laughs> sensations about about what we've done. I think the feelings come through the experience. It's it's experiential. So when we hear somebody say to us, I got a job with those clothes I got from you last month, or somebody um, leaves their ripped coat behind and goes home in a new coat. And that's, that's still happening now. You see that exact same story, like from day one with the man with the shoes. Where it's the the feelings come through the experience is what I will say, rather than this like this overwhelming sense of pride or achievement or you know um, success. And and it's at this point that I'll say that just when we were on the cusp of um, galvanising to get this to get our what we thought was a little project off the ground, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at forty three. Um, which delayed us opening our project and ultimately we didn't open in the winter of that year as we'd hoped because um, my friends around me and also our priest who was very involved because of letting us use the room in the church all felt that we we needed to see how my treatment went and at that time the biggest consideration for us was is Louise going to come out of this treatment okay? And is she going to come out able to carry on with the plans that we've laid? And as a person of faith, I would just say as well, don't be afraid. And if it, if it's if it's meant to happen, 
if it's the right thing for you to do, it'll happen. And the barriers that come along, you will overcome them one way or another. And we, we use the phrase of um, laying the bricks on the path as, as we walked it. And in many ways, we're still putting bricks down on the path now, six and a half years later. You will hear from Kiran Shafiq, who was part of the Islamic Help, helped to deliver food and other basic supplies to people of all communities in Birmingham and other cities in the West Midlands in response to panic buying at the start of the pandemic. During Ramadan, the group cooked and delivered hot meals and during Eid, they delivered sweets to the local community. People were delighted with this personal touch. Um, the issue that was being addressed um, here in Birmingham uh, during the pandemic um, was basically um, all the food running out, the panic buying that we everybody was doing. So we had a lot of people calling that were struggling to get hold of food. Um, there was people that um, were just about able to cover their rent, their bills, uh, with the 80% being on furlough. So for us, it was just about get, getting our volunteers, get, getting out there and making sure that we knew that there wasn't anyone out there without food. The organisation I work with is called Islamic Help. Um, we, um, even though it's called Islamic Help, we obviously work with uh, faith, non-faith groups out there. So basically anyone that we can help. So it's not faith-based at all. We had people that were unable to get out their houses who were tested positive. So um, we just wanted to be there for them just to make sure that we knew there wasn't anyone struggling. I mean, we were one of the first charities in Birmingham to deliver our first food pack during the pandemic. So we had all the tin foods, like we had soup, we, had, uh, we also had pasta, oil, we also had chapati atta, um, we had milk. Um, if we could get hold of bread, um, we'd give bread, cereals, um, all the necessities really, and everything that you'd need day to day. It, our aim was to cover our own around our area from where our um, organization is. But then obviously we, we had people calling from like, I don't know, 10 miles away to say that, oh, I'm struggling, I really need help. And, you know, there, was, there, were, there, weren't, there weren't times that we would think and say, okay, I'm so sorry, we can't deliver to you. So what we would do at the start is we would deliver to them. We had volunteers coming from all over Birmingham. Like they weren't even from around the area. We had people from all backgrounds. The volunteers got involved just by emailing saying, oh, I want to volunteer, I've lost my job. So for us, it was a bigger thing to say, oh, okay, someone's lost their job, but they're out there to help others. And then during um, the month of Ramadan, obviously it was through the pandemic, um, we were giving out hot food. Um, so we gave out, but this wasn't just to obviously our faith, it was, um, non-faith um, people as well so we gave over 2,000 um, hot meals out it didn't feel like you know when you've done a good deed and you feel like oh you know I'm proud of myself I've done a good deed it not once I could say that oh, okay we felt like okay we've done a good deed it was just about us feeling like okay we've done our job as a human because the reactions that we'd get from people because it's not something they'd expect because every day they'd get a we'd make sure they'd get a different hot meal every day so we'd make sure there's something different on the menu um so at the start we obviously um the organization itself we went out we bought we did the shop ourselves um and then 
we got a lot of people calling in to say that, oh, we know you're um, doing a food bank, you're helping people out. We want to come and deliver food. Um, so we had a lot of people donating food to us, like the chapati flour that we had loads. We like we were given loads, but we also had like the local shops that were helping out. Um, for instance, if we were to go there and like, oh, okay, we're from a charity. So them giving us a bulk, because there was a time that we were running out of food, but then it was all um, all given by like, obviously the locals, people from like quite far out, like 15 miles or so saying, oh, you know, I've got food. I want to come and drop it off and, or can somebody pick it up? So there wasn't a time that we would call someone to say, I'm so sorry, we don't have any food packs. So um, what we did is um, um, to get our word across to make sure everybody knows, we obviously first sat down as a team and we also had the mosque downstairs, which is Bahu Trust. Um, they've supported us in through all out of all this. Um, we sat down with them. Um, so we decided, okay, this is what we're going to do. We got flyers made. The flyers were sent out everywhere. So obviously through family and friends, obviously you like, for instance, we all had family friends um, that knew somebody that's going to obviously share the post. We shared it on our social media. We didn't, to be fair, we were surprised with the response that we had um, to expect that, oh, it's the word's gone this far. We didn't expect it, but it actually did, which which obviously made us think, okay, we've, we've got a lot to do. I'm saying team, and there's just myself, there's my colleague called Muhammad, um, there's my manager, Zain, and then obviously we've got Abdullah and Kamran, um, and then we had two others as well. We had one email, so all of us had to keep on top of it to make sure that if there's an email come come in, doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock in the night, making sure that, um, you know, we've replied. If we've get an email out of work hours, making sure this, like we'd take food packs home just to make sure we hadn't, if we had to deliver one on the weekend or out of hours, because during the first pandemic, obviously everybody was scared. And then obviously during the first pandemic, I lost my nephew was only 11 years old so obviously I was also I wasn't scared but I just I just thought you know what because if if I had if I had the fear in me I wouldn't I would be like okay I can't do this myself because I'm too scared now because obviously I've lost my nephew and it was obviously it was a rough patch but um I still carried on with work I thought no we've got to be for others because we had loads of elderly um, people in the community and out the community that we thought no we have to out but I definitely think it was the fear of losing your loved ones because that's the, the biggest fear we have. Um, we had elderly people coming in uh, wanting to volunteer. I mean, that to me meant a lot because I just thought, oh, okay, you know what? They're really elderly. For them to even want to come out and help um, pack, do the food packs with us, do the packing, watching everything from scratch as in how it happens, what we do, it actually meant a lot. We had elderly people delivering for us if we had somebody that was contacting contacting us out of Birmingham we had a little chart made with other food banks closer to them so then what we would do is we would send them the contact for that and then we'd be like oh okay this is the contact to your closest food bank so if you could contact them they'd be able to help you because for us it was getting too much um Basically, it was Abdullah that went out to deliver with um, two volunteers that he went with um, to the Penn Hospital for the nurses that were struggling with the panic buying. So basically, it was impossible for them with the timings and everything. It was impossible for them to go out 
and to shop for themselves. So they were struggling. So we delivered 80 packs to them. But obviously, we had um, Eid during the pandemic, wasn't it? Um, the first Eid, what we decided to do um, was obviously something for the local community. So we had made like a thousand sweet, they weren't even small sweet boxes. They were quite they were quite big sweet boxes so we had loads of volunteers that came in obviously keeping the two meter social distance we, we had volunteers come in we filled up sweet boxes and then on Eid day we decided um after Eid namaz and everything we decided okay we're gonna go knocking on their doors to say Eid Mubarak I mean for us that felt like oh okay we're wishing someone Eid Mubarak someone we're able to you know go to the house and wish them um some of the um some of the feedback we got from that just like just the way that they were looking at they were a bit surprised thinking that oh someone's come on Eid day to wish us um because obviously it wasn't easy we had a lot of frustrated people on Eid because considering we just found out um the night before that we're not allowed to see our families so we do get a lot of people donating money for our food bank so what we did we um, our fund, we have uh, in our office, we have a fundraising team. So what we did was we got everyone to set up a just giving page to fund for our COVID food bank. So um, we all we all set targets like £200 each or £1,000 each, whatever we can make because every little helps. Um, but just yesterday, um, we last week I had organized um I had somebody contact me from a school um saying that oh uh, we've got our children um it's part of their project where we've given them this project and they're collecting food and we're going to donate it to your food bank so as a little gesture um I thought it'd be nice to make them a little little sweet bags to say thank you just for the kids because obviously it's hard work and when you're at school and you're doing a project you want to feel like oh you were appreciated for doing this we gave them certificates so we went over yesterday to pick the food and let me tell you I was actually quite surprised the amount of food that they've given like I was actually shocked then I had this one little girl that comes up to me and she just passes me um a little envelope and um it said her name on there and it said for your food bank so she gave she gave money and I was like, it, it actually touched my heart because I was like, that could have been her little savings that she's given. I mean, the advice that I would give is just go with being yourself because everyone's got it in them to help another human out. For instance, the example for me would be how I started working for my charity. I started, I actually started as a volunteer and I've only been working um, with this charity for just over a year. So for me, to leave my job which was I was into teaching so I actually left teaching to come and work for a charity I do because I don't think after once the whole Covid is totally over I don't think anything's gonna go back to normality of how it was it's not I mean I can't expect it to go back to normality because to be honest we've gone we've been in it for so long it just feel I can't even imagine what it feels like to what it was like, just say for instance, two years ago, how it was just to feel normal. And yes, uh, we are we are going to be busy compared to how we were way before the pandemic because we didn't have a lot of people visiting our food bank. I mean, we did, we had a handful of people that would come every Friday, sit with us. Um, we used to talk to them because sometimes you just they you, you just have people that just want to talk to somebody, get out the house, and then they'd take a few things with them. 
Um, but obviously now definitely there's going to be a lot more um, people using the food bank because um, there's a lot of people that have permanently lost their jobs. People have that gone part-time. Um, it's just not going to be the same. So for instance, for, for us to be prepared, it's just about making sure we've got enough food for our food packs. Um, even if it came down to, okay, all the food packs we've got, it's not enough. So what we would do is we wouldn't wait to say, okay, you know, somebody's going to donate. We'd go out and do our food shop um, ourselves. Like for instance, I'll go do the food shop. Um, I'll take one of my colleagues with me. We'd go do the food shop. Um, then we'd uh, call volunteers in, get the food packed. Even like for instance, um, for us, it, it could even be like, for instance, if we did the food pack today, uh, we'd call our volunteers after hours of work. Um, and then we'd say, okay, we need to, uh, we need help with um, packing. We'd stay there till whatever time we need to be there till to make sure we've got enough food packs. Um, it's never been for us. It's even during the first pandemic, which was quite really well. It was really busy for us. Um, it wasn't the fact that oh we ran out of food or we haven't got enough food packs because if it came down to it, um, if I had to deliver a food pack, I I would go to my local shop and make a food pack or make a food pack from home with everything that I have and then just deliver it. It's not about, oh, okay, making sure it's from the food bank. Like I'd even just get it from home. It's literally every other week. Like I sit back and I think about everything that's gone on this year. I mean, the losses that everybody's, not just myself, but everybody's gone through this year. I mean, it's been a very tough year. Um, but then when I think about everything that we've achieved everything that we've done for others out there I mean for instance the Eid Namaz that we did uh, I received text messages um, from the mothers that um, were received and honestly they were really hot like heartwarming to, to know that how we made them feel just it was just enough for us so it's just about helping humanity being a human yourself for more podcasts in this series Search for Journey to Justice on any podcast platform. If you're interested in education for economic justice or community action, visit www.economicinjustice.org.uk to make the most of our resources.